We had a collaboration with some Chinese com uh, Chinese uh, scientists. Here we have a vaccine. What is the problem? Get over it. What we are very proud of now is that we penetrate the cabinets. Seriously, I'm, I'm making a serious point. I don't know what half of them are protesting against. We've still got Fauci walking around free. The man should be in irons in the darkest pit. As much as he touts that he cares about it, he doesn't. This is our revolution. It's not theirs. Don't let them take it from you. Don't let them convince you that it's their revolution when in fact it's not. It's ours. And we will have it. It is Friday, the first day of April, the year of our Lord 2022. I'm Johnny Anderson alongside Bruce Adams. Unfortunately, the fan favorite Marty Foster is unable to be with us today. So we wish him well, and we hope to see him next week. Bruce, how are you today? It's good to see you. Healthy and alive. Yeah, um, doing well. Is that an April Fool's joke? No, no, no. I'm not, I'm not really one for April Fool's jokes. I don't usually do anything with that. No, I lost my interest in that many, many years ago. Many years ago, unfortunately. And unfortunately, this, what I'm about to play, what I'm about to lead off with, which is going to trigger Bruce immediately, is not an April Fool's joke. Today, I'm authorizing the release of one million barrels per day for the next six months, over 180 million barrels for the strategic from the, from the strategic petroleum reserve. This is a wartime bridge to increase oil supply until production ramps up later this year. And it is by far the largest release of our, net, of our national reserve in our history. It will provide historic amount of supply for a historic amount of time, a six-month bridge to the fall. 180 million barrels, which will do exactly nothing. Yeah, yeah, it'll do it'll do nothing. Honestly, all releasing the the strategic oil reserves, as he said, all that's going to do is drain our our supply. That's going to drain our reserve. That's all they're doing. They're not looking to refill that or anything. This is about electric vehicles by 2030, eight years from now. We're 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 going to no longer have gas powered vehicles. So he, that's he all mention, this is part of. He did mention. You're absolutely right. He did mention that he will use the Defense Production Act to secure the American supply chains for the critical material for batteries of electric vehicles. Yeah. So honestly, this is going to do absolutely nothing. Uh, you may see gas prices dip uh, a few cents, um, but honestly, if he doesn't get out of the way, if government doesn't get out of the way of oil companies in general and allow them to produce, prices are going to continue going up. And not only will prices continue going up, but we also have inflation that's going on. And the Fed is increasing interest rates, which will exacerbate the problem. Which is exactly what we ended on yesterday. We're not to the point yet, and, and quite frankly, I think we would be if we didn't have government interference, but we're not to the point yet to transition ourselves off of petrochemicals. God knows that I would love it if we were. I, I want us to move away from petrochemicals, but you can't just stop it all of a sudden. Do, do you know what happens I, I don't even think I have to mention this again because I'm getting tired of saying it. Do you know what happens if we cease all petrochemicals? There's no food. There's no transportation. There's no logistical supply lines. There's no running water. There's no sanitation. There's no electricity. This is what our economies are based on. Y you cannot just turn these off and expect that everything's going to be fine. And you're going to move right into wind and solar. You notice that China's not doing that? They're building a coal fire plant, I think, every 15 minutes. You notice Russia is not doing that. You notice that India is not doing that. You notice that Brazil is not doing that. Do you know all these countries have formed an alliance? Have you noticed that? Because they have extremely large populations, so large, in fact, that you cannot, well, with the exception of Russia, but they have such a sparsely populated population over the largest landmass in the world. So it's not going to work just for the sheer fact of that. But you cannot expect to raise up the standard of living in these other countries where they have over a billion in population, such as China and such as India, when you base it off of wind and solar. No, they're moving ahead with petrochemicals in their societies. We're not. We're, we're deciding to, oh, I don't know, just voluntarily throw ourselves off the, uh, off the edge of a cliff here and say, no, we're just going to cut everything out. Vladimir Putin today on what you will pay if you want to buy Russian oil and gas. 
It's from these accounts that they will be paying for Russian gas, which will be delivered from tomorrow, from 1st of April of this year. If uh, such payments are not made, we will consider this as their failure to carry out their commitments by buyers with all the consequences. We don't uh, get anything free of charge, and we're not going to engage in charity either. Therefore, the current contracts will be stopped. I stress the situation in which the financial system of the Western countries is weaponized when companies from those countries refuse to to honor their contracts with companies and physical uh, persons when uh, euro accounts are frozen. It makes no sense to use those countries' currencies. What we have effectively, what has happened effectively, we have delivered our resources to European consumers, in particular gas, they received it, they paid for it in euros, which then they frozen, they froze. In this connection, there are grounds to believe that parts of the gas which delivered to Europe has been delivered free of charge. Of course, this cannot continue this way, especially that since in the case of future supplies, in the traditional scheme, the new financial receipts in euros and dollars can also be blocked. We can expect such a a situation, especially that some politicians in the West talk about this publicly. Moreover, it is in this uh, tone that uh, the heads of uh, the EU countries speak. And the risks of this situation are, of course, unacceptable. And if we look at the issue in uh, uh, its entirety, the the payment for uh, Russian gas and Russian rubles is an important uh, step to strengthening our financial and economic sovereignty. Now, from his standpoint... Again, I'm not pro-Putin here. I'm not taking a pro-Putin stance, but think of it from his point of view. Put yourself in that situation. If you're a country that is selling oil and gas to another country and you have deals, you have contracts with them and you put sanctions on them, the product has been delivered and you have closed the accounts. And so therefore there is non-payment or there is payment that you cannot get to because the accounts are frozen, as he just stated. What are you going to do? You're going to demand that you have a payment system that will work for you that cannot be frozen. And that's exactly what he's saying. Why would he take payment in dollars? Why would he take payment in euros when those are going to be frozen out? If you can put sanctions on them to where the Russians can't access them, which in a sense we've just turned off his American Express card, if we're going to do that, well then why should he deliver product? This is how simple economics work, right? You have a product, I have the money, you give me the product, I'm going to pay you for it. Well, in this sense, you're asking to get that product and uh, um, I'm going to have to give you an IOU and I don't know when you can cash it in or I'm going to have to give you a post-dated check, but I'm still going to need that that product. That, that's essentially what's being done here. So I, I don't blame him. I don't blame him at all for coming out and saying that we're going to take it in rubles now or Bitcoin or, or whatever. I, I don't blame him for doing that. But now you've got Germany who said today that, nope, We're not going to pay you in rubles. No, we're not going to do that. We're refusing. We're going to pay you in euros anyway. German companies can, will, and are going to pay in euros. Well, do you know what that means? That means the Russians have the right to refuse payment in based on what Vladimir Putin just stated. That means that they have the right to refuse payment. So what is that going to cause? As Germany is one of Russia's largest European customers for oil and gas, which I think is around 30% or something, they're not going to be able to get that if they're going to pay in euros. It's, it's that simple. See, we used to do this in dollars, but see, since we don't have a competent person or even a legitimate person that's sitting in the uh, sitting behind the desk at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. No one will pick up the calls for this guy. There is no backbone there. So there is no petrodollar anymore. It's literally being shut down on the world stage in front of everybody. No one seems to be paying attention to that. The media is not even covering that at all. So if there's no petrodollar, then you have the ability for countries to be able to go around like Vladimir Putin is doing and to fill that vacuum. Nature abhors a vacuum. So guess what? This is what's going to happen now. Now you're going to have rationing of gasoline in Germany. Boy, that Nord Stream 2, that was a that was a great idea, wasn't it? It was a wonderful idea. You know, Russia, uh, as far as, again, I, I'm, I'm going to, uh, I'm not 
praising Putin. I'm not, uh, you know, whatever. Putin is still an evil dictator. Uh, however, yep. uh-huh. uh, I'm going to give credit where credit's due. Strategically, uh, he made good decisions. You have this oil and gas that Germany requires. Russia doesn't have to sell it to you because clearly they've been selling it to you for free for quite a while now. For, you know, what, a month or so? Give or take. So clearly they can they can continue doing this for a little bit longer. Uh, Putin's approval rating amongst his own population is actually increasing, going up. We have more. If if this if some of the stuff that Zelensky has said recently has made it to Russia, which I'm sure it has, uh, talking about the world needs to. Uh, well, this is why you have to go green. Well, uh, excuse me. Like you need no, electricity. N- this is to this, go green. This is why you go nuclear. This, this is why you go, you know, hydrogen. This is why you, you focus on getting your own country stabilized and provide for yourself. And I understand in some situations, the countries are not capable of doing that because they don't have the resources available to them. But Russia has the upper hand in this one. Germany, you're going to start doing rationing. Yeah. How long are your people going to put up with that? You They're already, already have, uh, yeah, you already have the populace angry at you now because of covid and the lockdowns you have all those protests that are going on and you're going to throw in now they can't afford gas because of stupid decisions by the government yeah you that that that's going to go real well and then you're going to have to go even greener you know do even more green energy you you guys uh, germany's energy prices compared to france is enormously high comparatively france has much cheaper and most of their energy is nuclear they've gotten higher here because they've shut down coal fire plants and they've shut down natural gas plants. They've shut down a lot of their nuclear plants. As a result of turning those things off, what's going to happen? You have less providers. And if you have less providers and you have an increasing demand, then you have a higher cost. That's simple. That's common sense. That is common sense. You can't take a country this size with as industrious as the German people are and as efficient as they are and as hardworking as they are and productive. You can't take a country like this and just turn off their energy. You just can't do that and not expect some kind of a uh, of a backlash from the people. You just can't do that. But they're going to do it. What what's what's crazy about all this is they are so hell-bent and so committed to this green insanity, which don't get me wrong, I'm I'm all for preserving the environment. I talked about that yesterday. But you can't just turn off the resources like these morons want to do. You cannot do it. But nonetheless, they're going to try. They're going to try. It's an engineered, controlled collapse, and it's being done on purpose. The worst part is, is that all these people that are up there, like the Klaus Schwabs and and these types, uh, and we've got some clips we're going to go over here in just a few minutes, but these types that are at this World Economic Forum and this World Government Summit and all these these losers up there, they think that they are re-engineering and reinventing and and reimagining the world. You know, Schwab's up there last week saying, oh, we've got to write the great narrative. Sir, there's no narrative to write when you're going to crash the entire system and you're going to go down with it. That's the big deception here is they're so disconnected from reality that they think they're going to be able to crash the system, stay on top of it, and then on the ashes of that collapsed civilization, build something new and some utopia out of it. That is crazy. That is insane. Not one time in all of human history has anything like that ever happened. And I don't see it happening now. Our manners yesterday. It was entirely my fault. Bruce, you reminded me of it today. It was Klaus Schwab's, what, 180th birthday, I think? Yeah, 184th, actually. 184th? Is he 84? I know we're exaggerating. He's 84. No, yeah. Really? No, it was, it was his birthday yesterday. That's um, that's mm-hmm. that's amazing. Well, I guess happy birthday to him. Uh, Why sure. not? Right. Yeah. I, I, we'll we'll yeah. beat him in the marketplace of ideas. It's easy enough to do, I think. Yeah, but I'm also not above ad hominem attacks. I'm I'm not above that. I don't. You're really, not above that. It, with uh, with him uh, with him, you're not above it. No. I, I I'm not above it in general. I mean, you've heard my my comments about whale of people, you know, being overweight and whatnot. I, I mean, have, if you've yeah. made a decision in your life, you've chosen the road that you're on. I, I have no problem uh, making fun of that, poking fun at that. Where I draw the line is something like, you, you know, you have some disability or something like that. That's um, fair. But I, I draw the line there, uh, more or less. So uh, there, there is some situations where I, I might still poke fun a little bit. But generally speaking, I, I don't like doing that. So would it would it be fair for me to poke fun at Klaus Schwab, though? 
I mean, because he does seem a little um, bit. I don't know. Yeah, that I mean, I can say that actually. No, I, I honestly, about it. Anyway, I, I, yeah. I don't, I don't know. I, I really don't know. I, I don't like attacking somebody personally, especially when we're talking politics about them and criticizing their their political standpoints. I don't. And it's given what uh, what I've been able to dig up on Klaus Schwab and what we've discussed, which we haven't talked about here yet, not publicly, not until we get all the pieces together, but. Uh, and we're working on that. But given what we know about him now, is he really worthy of ad hominem attacks? Because the guy's a nobody. He's not even worth the ad hominem attacks. He's a nobody. He's, he's nothing. He's a creation of someone or something. I don't know what or who that is, but he's not who we think he is. He's not who he portrays himself to be. His academic credentials are impressive. There's no doubt about that. Those are impressive and those are legit. But as far as everything else goes... He's not who you think he is, but we can talk about that at a later time. But I, I honestly, I don't even, he's not even worth my time, really. If When I look at it in that sphere, he's not even worth it to me. He's because he's just, I would, he's a joke. I'll push, I'll push back just a little bit and say Hitler was nobody as well. That's true. That is true. No argument there. No argument at all. The U.S. State Department, this is breaking and then we'll, we'll move into the, uh, to the clips we got here. The U.S. State Department has urged American citizens to depart Ukraine and Russia immediately. They're only just now saying that? I mean, I guess Ukraine's been in war for a month and Russia is Russia. And you're only just now saying you should get out of there? If you were in Ukraine, as a matter of fact, the State Department was saying in the in the very beginning, uh, around February 25th, 26th or whatever, if you were in Ukraine, you were an American citizen, you had to get out via the Polish border. And the only way they would get you across the border is if you had a vaccine passport. I'm wondering if it's so the same now. They're, they're trying to they're trying to have another Afghanistan. Possibly, except what are we doing in Russia? You know, I mean, we, we have diplomats there. We did. We did have the athlete uh, that was there. Oh, in that's Russia. true. Yeah, that's true. We probably have people working over there too. You know, as in legitimate job people, business people that travel for work. Yeah. and things like that. Sure. I um, know of some people that are over there for ministry purposes as well. Uh huh. Yeah, I I know some people that actually just got back from there, but they're Russian citizens. Well, they're they're Russian natively. They're, they're but they're now citizens here. They they have family there. They work and travel back and forth. So let's get right into this. So uh, Bruce, this is happening right now. The World Government Summit is happening right now. Klaus Schwab gave a speech. Uh, gave a uh, gave a stark warning there a couple of days ago. This is what he had to say about the global supply chain. We do not yet know the full extent and the systemic and structural changes which will happen. However, we do know that global energy systems, food systems and supply chains will be deeply affected. That I do believe. When I hear him making a statement like that, I genuinely believe what he says there he is telling the truth. I'm not going to argue with what he just said because he's absolutely right in everything that he just said. We've been putting out that same point here for months now, almost a year, a little over a year. But that was his little, that was a snippet of what he had to say at the uh, the World Government Summit. But let's talk about this. This is the first line. This is the opening statement of the World Government Summit that's happening right now. And the title of this session, are we ready for a new world order. I thought that was a conspiracy theory. Wasn't that a conspiracy theory? I could swear that it was. And then, of course, Biden said that last week, too, didn't he? He did, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. He said he wanted to be the leader of the uh, new order. Mm -hmm. There's going to be a new world order out there and we're going to have to lead it, I believe is what he said. But what is one of the key things that they're going to be discussing or that they have discussed already at this world government summit? What have we been warning here about for... I think since, what, maybe the third or fourth week since we started a few years ago. This is before COVID even became a thing. This is before any of that even happened. We've been talking here about social credit, haven't we? That's what we've been talking about. Everything yeah. within COVID has been a system that has been preparing you to transition to a digital economy. And of course, Klaus Schwab has been talking about that. World Economic Forum has been championing that agenda since uh, Schwab wrote a book on it entitled COVID-19 and the Great Reset. And in there, they say that we need a merger of our physical, our digital, and our biological identities. Schwab's been championing that for years. China has been at the forefront of that. And we've been talking about this for over three years. They've employed the social credit system with the help of American tech companies. 
And what has it done to their population? Do you know what happens to you in China within the social credit system? Everything you do is tracked, traced, and controlled. Absolutely everything. If you don't have a high enough score, which is based on your behavior, if you don't have a high enough score, your car doesn't start. Why do you think they want electric cars? Gasoline-powered cars, diesel-powered cars, if you live in Europe, these types of things, they don't allow you to be restricted, do they? You can get in them, you can drive wherever you want, you can go to the Mediterranean, you can drive across the Swiss Alps, whatever you want. You can go wherever you want. You don't have to ask permission, you just go. Electric cars, you can't do that, can you? Maybe you only get 50 kilometers if you've been good. Maybe you don't get any electricity at all because of the new supply chain shortages or the energy shortages. And let's say you have a little bit of a health problem. So you go to a doctor if you can get in to see one. And once you go in to see that doctor, they say, yeah, you've been out of shape for a little while. So we're going to have to get you back into shape. So here's what you need to do. You're not going to be allowed to have this, this and this. So don't eat this. Don't eat this. Don't eat this. Whatever that might be. Red meat, potato chips, soda drinks, soft drinks, that kind of stuff. Can't have any of that. No ice cream, anything. Nothing sweet, nothing junk food. And because the system you have scores you on everything you do and everything is linked to your digital ID that's on your smartphone or something to that effect, you go to the supermarket or wherever you shop and you say, you know what? The hell with that doctor. I'm going to get me a steak if you can afford one. The hell with that doctor. I'm going to get me some ice cream. Well, I'm just going to get the small bag of chips and no one will know any different. Then you go up to the cashier because you're ready to check out. Guess what? Then it doesn't let you complete the transaction because you have items that you've picked up that you're restricted on. It's the same concept with your movement, with your freedom, with your choices, with who you associate with. Your score is based on all of these things. See, it's less about money and it's more about your behavior. Do you remember when we talked about the Dokonomy? There's a small startup in Sweden. I believe it was Sweden. And they created a partnership with MasterCard. And within that partnership, everything's going to be based on your carbon credits, your carbon footprint. It's less about money and it's more about your behavior, your actions, your movements, your preferences, your relationships. You buy something, it might cost you a little bit of money, of course, or credits or whatever it is, because we're going to get into that in a second. It might cost you a little bit of money, but what does it cost more of? It costs more of your carbon footprint. That will go towards your social score too. So World Government Summit, what are they discussing? Let's see, because all of this, remember, all of this that we've been laying out for the last three plus years... All of this was crazy talk. All of this was a conspiracy theory. Listen very closely. Well, it may be a bit late for that. Uh, I remember talking to an Australian diplomat at one point about this break between the U.S. and China and said, you know, both sides are going to say, whose team are you on? Mm. And he said, our job is to make sure the question never arises. But the question has arisen. And so I think we have to go deeper. And it's not about the U.S. versus China. It's about what underpins of world order is always the financial system. Mm. Uh, I was very privileged. My father was an advisor to Nixon when they came off the gold standard in 71. And so I was brought up with a kind of inside view of how very important the financial structure is to absolutely everything else. And what we're seeing in the world today, I think, is we are on the brink of a dramatic change where we are about to, and I'll say this boldly, we're about to abandon the traditional system of money and accounting and introduce a new one. And the new one, the new accounting, is what we call blockchain. It means digital. It means having an almost perfect record of every single transaction that happens in the economy, which will give us far greater clarity over what's going on. It also raises huge dangers in terms of the balance of power between states and citizens. In my opinion, we're going to need a digital constitution of human rights if we're going to have digital money. Uh, but also, this new money will be sovereign in nature. Most people think that digital money is crypto and private, but what I see are superpowers introducing digital currency. The Chinese were the first. The U.S. is on the brink, I think, of moving in the same direction. The Europeans have committed to that as well. And the question is, will that new system of digital money and digital accounting accommodate the competing needs of the citizens of all these locations so that every human being has a chance to have a better life? Because that's the only measure of whether a world order really serves. 
clarity. It'll give you better clarity over every transaction. No, it'll give you absolute control over every transaction. It'll give you absolute control over every person's movement, every decision they make. No, I don't think so. Because the digital ID means they have absolute control over everything. That's what COVID was meant to do. The vaccine passport, that was meant to be your foot in the door. And then they were going to add all these other things to it, namely this. They'd say, oh, well, look, we've already had this with COVID. You already have it. So we're just going to add this to it because it's going to be easier for you. No, no. People rejected that and they're still pushing back on it. So now they're going to try it with rationing and they're going to try it with digital currencies. And the digital currency is going to be the new ration token. But see, it's not temporary. It's permanent. It's a permanent rationing system. That's what they don't tell you. It's defined, a, a world order is defined by its monetary system? I don't think so. I don't think so. A world order is defined by how you have the relationship between the political class and the citizens. That's the underpinning of a society, not a monetary system. The social contract that we had, you can trace that all the way back to the Magna Carta. 1215 was the first document that gave we the people property rights. And then, of course, U.S. Constitution came in later down the road, gave even more people more rights. It took the chains off of people and it put them on the government, which is where they belong. So no, the underpinning of a society and a world order is a, is a monetary system. Boy, you people, have you got a lot to learn. You got a lot to learn. You, you sick, naive individuals, you. That is not what makes a society and a world order great. What makes a society and a world order great is the community based around the fundamental aspects of some kind of a spiritual underpinning. Namely, in our case, what we had in the West was Christianity. It replaced the forms of totalitarianism that we had. And then, of course, you had other things that came along with that. We've had the pluralistic movements towards more freedoms in our civilization. They're saying we haven't had that. They're trying to go back on everything. This is not a new world order, as they put it, that they're trying to bring in. Understand that. They're trying to bring back the old world order of what we had prior to the birth of Christ. That's what they're trying to bring back. They're trying to reintroduce feudalism, a digital constitution of human rights. Lady, we don't need a digital constitution of human rights. What we need are solid, rock-solid documents of rights that put people like yourself in chains. That's what we need. We need people like you out of the way. We don't need people like you up there talking about policy, telling people that, oh, you're going to love your slavery. You're going to love your imprisonment. You're going to love your rationing. You're going to love not having any resources. It's going to be great. Go to hell. Go back to hell where you came from and take all of your damn family and everybody else that's up there on that stage and everybody that's in that crowd wearing a mask. You take those sorry ass clowns with you. Digital ID, digital wallet, whatever the hell you want to call it, you can keep it. It's the one of the last mechanisms they need in place for a the completion of the social credit system. The, the only thing left would be to go after your health uh, on a more... Uh, uh, you know, global scale, if you will, or more down into the minutia. That's the next step after crypto uh, or after the digital dollar. Interesting there. She said the the dollars will be it's not focused on the individual having wealth or, or power over their money. It's the uh, sovereignty. It's the, the country will have control of the money. Everything she said in there is it, it should be a red flag. This is well, it's Machiavellian speak, right? It, she's saying this is going to give governments control over the populace. This is going to give you absolute control globally over the populace. You're going to have clarity of transactions. As you mentioned there, you want to buy something, but it doesn't, you know, your score isn't high enough or your health doesn't allow it or whatever. They're going to bar you from buying it. Or if your carbon footprint is too high, they're going to bar you from being able to buy it. This is a journey back into feudalism. This is a journey back into, you know, if you're if you're a Christian, you know, Old Testament uh, Bible stories, or you, you have an idea of them. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, same scenario. They were basically mandated to put a mask on, take a jab, 
put the flag of Ukraine on their uh, Facebook, Twitter, whatever, they were told to bend the knee to the king. I mean, kind of the same scenario, right? We're told to bend the knee right now, aren't we? You know? Oh, yeah. And they said, no, stuff it. We're not going to. We, we only bow to one God, and that's the creator of the universe. And they threw him in the furnace. Kind of the same thing that's happened here, right? You get canceled and i mean granted being thrown into the furnace is a little bit more extreme than what they're doing today but if they, they have this digital it. currency they don't need to do it today they can cancel you digitally like what? they've been doing they'll, they'll just ban you everywhere they'll excommunicate you they'll they'll send you to a digital gulag more or less with the social credit system and they'll just if it's that's the chinese way of doing things that's the chinese communist party way of doing things it's like that they'll turn you into persona non grata and then they can disappear you if they get everybody else yeah. within the social credit system to stay away from you because it'll hurt them as well, and they can alienate you and, and single you out, then they'll disappear you. It's kind of like what the uh, the Nazis did with the Jews and yes. how yes. they constantly changed the narrative on yes. what people thought of the Jews. Yes. It's kind of the same scenario. It changes your perception of, of people around you. And yeah. then eventually you get to the point like covid you didn't take the jab. Well, the people that went and took the jab over and over and over again, they're the ones that are out there screaming that you shouldn't have a life. You shouldn't have a livelihood. You should be arrested and, and put into a prison, a gulag or not allowed to leave your home. Or it's it's gotten to the point now if uh, you need medical treatment, they're saying you shouldn't be allowed medical treatment because you wouldn't take the jab. This is what will happen if they have a digital currency, if they have control of it. And they have control over the medical care. If they have control of everything, which <laughs> they already have control of the medical care, all they need is a, some kind of mechanism to track you individually. Once they have all of that, they don't have to just put you in a gulag or or any. They can completely sever your your existence. Basically, you won't be able to buy food. You won't be able to have a job. You won't have medical care. They essentially will kill you if you don't abide by their laws and their rules. That that's what this is. Can you imagine? If Joseph Stalin or an Adolf Hitler had this kind of power, can you imagine? And now all of a sudden, we're going to trust these people? I don't think so. I, I don't think so. Absolutely not. What we're dealing with and what we're discussing here, this is every tyrant and every dictator who has put their boot on the page of history throughout human history, every single one of them. This is their wet dream, is what's happening. And if you don't believe that, if you think that we're just being over the top, I want you to listen to this. This is a compilation of Klaus Schwab's top advisor. And COVID is critical because this is what convinces people to accept, to legitimize total biometric surveillance. If we want to stop this epidemic, we need not just to monitor people, we need to monitor what's happening under their skin. What we have seen so far, it's corporations and governments collecting data about where we go, who we meet, what movies we watch. The next phase is the surveillance going under our skin. We now see mass surveillance systems established even in democratic countries, which previously rejected them. And we also see a change in the nature of surveillance. Previously, surveillance was mainly above the skin, now it's going under the skin. Governments want to know not just where we go or who we meet. Above all, they want to know what is happening under our skin. What's our body temperature? What's our blood pressure? What, what is our medical condition? Now humans are developing even bigger powers than ever before. We are really acquiring divine powers of creation and destruction. We are really upgrading humans into gods. We are acquiring, for instance, the, the power to re-engineer life. Humans are now hackable animals. You know, the, the whole idea that humans have, you know, this, they, they have this soul or spirit and they have free will and nobody knows what's happening inside me. So whatever I choose, whether in the election or whether in the supermarket, this is my free will, that's over. I mean, all this story about Jesus rising from the dead and being the son of God, this is fake news. I know that in recent years, we saw populist politicians undermining deliberately the trust that people have in important institutions like universities, like respectable media outlets. 
you hear that, Bruce? They don't have a soul. They don't have the ability to make a determination for themselves. This whole idea of, of, uh, of well, Christianity, really, it, it's fake news, right? It, they, they don't have these things. That time is over. You heard him. That time's over. You see, that's who these people are. They're morally bankrupt, degenerate individuals that are nihilists. They have no connection to any kind of spiritual belief that's higher than themselves, other than an evil entity, I would argue. But there is nothing that is connecting them to something good, nothing that connects them to something that's wholesome, something that gives them a sense of fulfillment, a sense of purpose, real purpose. They don't have it. They lack that. They're void of it. They project their own selfish misery onto the world, and they're doing it in the form of a dark age control mechanism. That's all it is. That's all it is. This is a system that they're trying to resurrect that is literally from the dark ages, but it's got modern window dressing on it. That's it. That's all it is. Before I get back up onto my soapbox, which I already feel like I'm doing, the comments that he made there about people don't have a spirit, people don't have free will. This this idea of Christianity is, is, is fake news. His words, not mine. You being the house theologian, what, what's your take on this guy's presentation of that? So it's a typical it's a typical narrative of an atheist. Um, God doesn't exist, blah, blah, blah. That said, you know, there was another there's another being in history that's written about that uh, believed himself to be above God, that he could take the throne of God. We know that individual as Lucifer or the devil, Satan, whatever your terminology is. He attempted a revolt in heaven was thrown can, can out. I, can I ask you a question on that? Just real quick. Correct me if I'm wrong. It's been a long time since I, since I read about this, but was it a third of the angels revolted and, and left? Do I have that number right? A third of them? Yes. A third of, a third of the angels were cast out along cast with out. Okay. Lucifer. Okay. One would suspect at that point, at least my interpretation, that they're doing his bidding here on earth. Am I right or am I wrong in that assumption that I'm, that I'm uh, making for myself here? So I'm not really sure if what we don't know is, are they all following his lead? Do we know they're still following his lead or are they all just kind of running around like headless chickens trying to cause chaos because humans are the creation of God? So they want to destroy us to prove God wrong. Right. But I'm making that determination for myself. I'm trying to justify it in my own head because these people and what they're doing and what they're discussing and what they're trying to implement is just pure evil. It's straight out of the pits of hell. Yeah. So um, it's not necessarily that these people are themselves possessed in that sense. They could easily just be uh, have a implanted thought, if you will. Right. They just have mm -hmm. a thought put in their head and convinced that, well, this is the better. This is the, the right solution. This is for the betterment of the, the world. This is for the greater good. Well, and he did they say, do all this on their own. Yeah, yeah. It, and to that point, he did say there at, at one of his uh, one of his last statements there, he did say that human beings are hackable animals and we're about to transition into divine powers. We're about to become gods. He's not talking about us little people, us barefoot peasants down here. He's not talking about us. No, no. Uh, and not only that, the other the other thing is um, this is this is reminiscent of the Tower of Babel. Uh, if you're familiar with that story, uh, the Tower of Babel is basically the human race got together and all decided we're going to build a tower and we're going to build it up to the heavens and overthrow God. Uh, we're going to become gods ourselves. How did that turn out for him? Uh, by well. sitting here saying. Uh, like he's saying, and, and uh, you know, God doesn't exist, uh, uh, Christianity, you know, Jesus, that, that is fake news, blah, blah, blah. God is not mocked. I, I think uh, we're, we're going to see some, whether it's in this life or the hereafter, or this is, we're in the end times and they end up getting their comeuppance during the tribulation, because that's what I believe the tribulation is. It's, it's partly punishment for Satan and the rest of creation not following it's guidance, if you will, the rules set forth. That's why you see the rapture beforehand. But, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a pre-trib. Anyway, this is another scenario of the Tower of Babel. Tower of Babel, we had the confusion of language. I don't know what else comes after this because everything is leading up. Like, it feels like the days of Noah, right? As an example, Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed. Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, the two angels that went there uh, to, to get Lot out, they had laws in Sodom and Gomorrah that if you're a guest there, they had beds in the streets that um, 
as a guest you were to use and they were to have their way with you uh, while you were there. And Lot being the only righteous man in the city. His family, by the way, was living in and, inst- in and amongst that, which you find out later his two daughters, what they did when they thought the, the world was, they got him drunk and tried to have his kids, um, ended up having the kids anyway, um, because they thought the world was at an end. But anyway, uh, the only thing I can, I can surmise in this is there's going to be a, a large catastrophe, some kind of judgment, if you will, which I don't, I don't believe, I don't believe in the same kind of punishments we've seen back in, in, back in the day, like Sodom and Gomorrah and those kind of things. I don't believe in that now because I, I don't believe we're under in the stoning. New Testament. Yeah. Yeah. I don't believe in that stoning to death or anything like that. No, nothing. No, 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 not, not, not that Sodom and Gomorrah was fire and brimstone that was an oh yeah yeah that, yeah that's um nice. you know those kind of things yeah, yeah. i don't think we see those kind of like the flood that was also an act of god that was punishment because man's hearts had become so evil and it that's all they had in their minds was evil we're starting to get to that point now to where everything is evil just you look at disney who disney used to be you know make uh wholesome shows that were for kids and whatnot now they're putting queer stuff in there they're putting uh and that's i'm I'm not using that term as a derogatory term that's literally their words they're they're putting um other kinds of the content in there the that's not appropriate stuff. for that the age. pedophilia the stuff pedophilia they're, stuff. they're literally putting yeah. pedophilia in disney movies and disney characters yeah. they're literally putting child pornography stuff in there that's unacceptable yeah. that is unacceptable yeah. and then you had things like uh, netflix with cuties which was another child porn. oh yeah um oh, yeah. then you have uh it just it's permeating in our culture everywhere and they're trying to make this normalized and okay of course, then you also have the, the the rest of the transgender movements and whatnot. And and then you're going to say, um, oh, but Bruce, you're being so, uh, I don't know, um, insensitive or homophobic or transphobic or blah, blah, blah. You know, we, we talked about this a little bit beforehand, the, the Axios poll uh-huh. that was showing the, the age groups and um, how it. many of them claim to be of, of the LGBT community. And what you find in that poll or that that graph is um, it all started and escalated about the time period society started grooming kids towards the idea of there's more than one gender or homosexuality is fine or, you know, those kind of things and, and started grooming kids. We started seeing that escalate. And now with Gen Z, which um, that's the generation that's, you know, um, God, they're, they're, they're 22 now, 25 they were basically taught in schools, gender is fluid. And 20% of them, almost 21% of them claim to be of the LGBT community. You know, I was looking at this this graph here that was put out by Axios. And, and that's what we're referencing here is, is the report that was put out by them. I was looking at this and they put this into five categories. You've got the traditionalists, it, for, obviously for those listeners that can't see this, Bruce and I are, are looking at this. For the listeners that can't see it, you've got the traditionalists, which are born before 1946. You've got the baby boomers, which is 46 to 64. Not, I'm speaking years, 1946, 1964. Gen X, 1965 to 1980. Millennials, which Bruce and I fall into that category, unfortunately. 1981 to 1996. And then you've got Gen Z, which you just referenced, 1997 to 2003. What's now? What, what's after 2003? What is that one? Do we have a name for them yet? I, I don't know. The The only ones that I know is uh, Zoomer, which is the Zoomer. Gen Z. Yeah, okay. I don't right. know. Okay. I don't know after that. Okay. So what I noticed about this, what stood out to me about this was not the fact of what it's even about. It's not the fact that it's LGBTQ. I don't even like that, that doesn't even register to me when I see this graph. What stood out to me is when this started. It has nothing to do with that. The significant time on this for me is the baby boomer generation, 1946 to 1964. What happened? Now, remember, 1964 was the cutoff date, okay? So we're going by January, right? That's what we're going by, January, okay? So we'll, we'll go, we'll go January, 1964. What happened? On November 22nd, 1963. Anybody know? That was the day that John F. Kennedy was assassinated. That's what stood out to me about that chart. What happened when John F. Kennedy, President John F. Kennedy, what happened when he was assassinated? You shocked an entire generation of children. Shortly after that, you had 
something develop? Of course, we were getting to the end of our monetary system as we knew it anyway, but nobody really knew that at the time. Now we understand it more. But they needed to shift the agenda. And I'm talking about the powers that be. They needed to shift the agenda. They needed to change society. They needed to rapidly shift it in a radical direction that had never been conceived before in modern history. You had something that came along a few years after Kennedy was assassinated by shocking that generation, an entire generation of children, by shocking them. It was an inflection point. You plowed the ground up. You cultivated that space for change. That change was the hippie movement. That's when it all started. Let it all hang out, man. If it feels good, do it. Why not do it in the road? Don't be a square. Don't listen to your parents. Peace, love, dope. Tune in and drop out. Oh yeah, things changed. Things changed a lot. And of course, you've got those same degenerates from that hippie movement back then that are teaching college today. Look at your universities today and tell me, are your kids being given an education or are your kids being given an indoctrination? Those same ones are not just teaching at colleges. They're teaching in schools. They're teaching in elementary schools. They're teaching in high schools, grade schools, whatever you call it. Are your kids getting an education? Are your kids getting indoctrination? They've gone into the entertainment industry. Hollywood, Holly Weird, if you want to call it that. Do we need to talk about what we just mentioned about Disney? The people that are running these city councils in places like Seattle, places like Portland, places like New York, places like Minneapolis. Look at the people up there on that city council. How old are they? Are they doing those communities a service or are they doing those communities a disservice? Are they all about we the people or are they all about social justice? You make that call. I'm asking you the question. I'm telling you when it started in modern history. You can make your own mind up on it. I'm not telling you how to think. I'm not telling you what to think. You decide for yourself. I'm telling you when it started. I'm telling you when it changed and why. And I'm explaining how we got here. Now, there's more than one agenda in play here, but it all had to start somewhere. It all had to start with an inflection point, and it started with the assassination of a U.S. president. In my humble opinion, the last true president of the United States, Trump included. I would also throw in there was um, other events that happened in the 60s. Uh, you, you, you know, you had um, abortion was uh, basically legalized. Uh, you you also had... Yep. Um, that was part of it. The degradation of, of families and whatnot. The, the Again, welfare state started. Yep. And then you also had... Um, Christianity as a whole was basically thrown out of schools, which then turned into the indoctrination centers, the grooming uh, facilities for the kids. And this is what you got. You know, I, I, I was listening to I was listening to an expert on the Soviet Union who debriefed a lot of uh, ex-KGB defectors to the West. And he said that our modern education system, as in 19 early 1900s till now, it, not much of it has really changed. But our modern education system in the West, because all our countries are pretty much just about the same, Australia, the Europeans, uh, the, the English, the Americans, the Canadians, all, all of our education systems are about the same. I mean, they vary on curriculum and things like that, but really they're all about the same. But it's not our education system. That's not how we used to be taught. The system we have here in the West came out of Bolshevik Russia. As a matter of fact, the structure of it and the curricula of it are still in the Kremlin today. They're under guard. We can't see it. Why? The original papers have never been translated into English. Why? Why is that? If you go back pre-1900 in the West, our education systems were vastly different. Vastly different. Would you say that people are more intelligent today than past generations? Intelligent book-wise, yes. Wisdom, no. Also known as common sense. Yeah, that, that was more my point, was that right there. Because if you go back 500 years ago, I mean, Europe's made, being the core of Western civilization, Europe's made amazing strides in literacy. 500 years ago in mainland Europe, no one could read or write. Now, pretty much everybody can read and write. There are some that do not. And I feel for those people. That's a failure of society, in my humble opinion. It's a failure of a lack of family, a failure of a, uh, of a nurturing environment to bring a child up in, in my opinion. But I don't have all the answers. I, I don't have all the answers, but I do know that all of this had to start somewhere and there had to have been a reason for it. So there's a lot of issues that go into this. It's not just one. It's not just one. You've got all these agendas and all these players that are on this stage that are working to make this happen. Bruce, you talked earlier about the Tower of Babel. Would you say that that was a first attempt at world government? That that we know of, yeah. Uh, that I would we say that of. was probably the first, yeah. Okay. Klaus Schwab, as we mentioned, that you know yesterday was his birthday. Happy belated. Klaus Schwab has told global leaders 
to collaborate for world governance. We played one of his top advisors, a compilation of his one of his top advisors, and you made reference to what he was saying, and I think you're accurate on it, saying it's literally the Tower of Babel they're trying to recreate. Now you have dear old Klaus out there saying, all of these leaders, you need to come together and we need to form a world government. Where does that leave the Russians and the Chinese and the Indians and the Brazilians? Where does it leave them? Because nearest I can tell, they're forming an Axis power. Klaus Schwab issued his demand during a keynote speech on the opening day of the World Government Summit in Dubai, saying the world can only be improved by more government cooperation at more levels. Oh, I see. What we've had doesn't work, so we're just going to have more of it. That's a typical delusional European elite response. Klaus Schwab, who called on policymakers for a great reset during the COVID pandemic, said the fourth industrial revolution has arrived and enduring change is on the way. He said the impact of the fourth industrial revolution accelerates global change in a much more comprehensive and faster way than previous industrial revolutions. Despite all the challenges, we have to uphold the responsibility we have towards the next generation through collaborations on a national and global level. Our futures are intrinsically connected, and that requires collaborative responses. The world has to overcome not only the damage done to our economies and our societies by COVID-19, which, by the way, I'd like to say that he's been instrumental in making sure that these people have caused that damage, I'd like to point out. He just happens to gloss over that. He says it also has to confront the repercussions of a dangerous clash between major global powers, again, which they have caused, I might add. Schwab also praised the World Government Summit as a place for governments to go beyond crisis management. I think you've managed this crisis well enough, as in you've created this crisis. You haven't managed it. You've managed to create it. I'll give you that. But you haven't managed to, to sort this thing out. Of course, none of us were even expecting you to do that. No one asked you to do that. He says, in times of crisis, the role of governments is more important and more relevant than ever. I agree, sir. It's more important for the governments and more relevant for the governments to get out of the way. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. Schwab said, globally interconnected challenges require global collaborative responses at a super governmental level. Huh. So I guess that's what we need then, right? We, we just need more. We need more of it. Well, I'm not in the mood to have any more world government. I'm not in the mood to have any more people like Klaus Schwab, not just him. There's many others like him. I'm not in the mood to listen to his little pipsqueak, uh, his little errand boy he's got there talking about implantable whatever in the hell underneath your skin. I'm not interested in that. And there are hundreds of millions of other people with brains that are not interested in that. This sick society that they're trying to create that is not new. Remember that. It's not new. They're trying to sell you something very old, like it's very new. All right, we're going to have to go. We're not going to be on the exclusive tomorrow. We are going to be putting that out on Monday on all platforms. So for our Telegram subscribers, I do apologize. There will not be an exclusive for the weekend. For those of you who would like to send us some feedback, we would love to hear from you. Please do so anytime by sending us an email at dynamicpodcast.protonmail.com. Also, do you like the podcast that you're listening to? We do love having you as a listener, and we would humbly ask you to pass this along to five friends. That's all, just five friends. You know someone you're trying to wake up? You know someone that you're trying to get to think on their own? Then we would appreciate it very much if you would send them our direct. So, Bruce, I want to thank you for being here today. Thank you to all of the listeners. Everyone have a great weekend, and we will see you on Monday.